Two notes about this show. One is there is very explicit content, so it is definitely not safe for kids. And the second note is kind of funny because we are talking about a really graphic topic, yet my guest Chris was recording outside and there must have been a daycare nearby because you could hear kids playing in the background, which to me is freaking hilarious. You might hear that in the faint background. But take a moment and make sure you are safe to listen as this show is about to begin. And so a top can give gratitude to a bottom. A bottom can give gratitude to a top. And there can be this humility that's developed in the scene by acknowledging that the scene isn't about you. Okay, real talk now. This by far is the wildest episode I have ever done. We are in the midst of the sex mini series of the Culture Changers podcast. And my guest today is Chris Shembra. He is the founder of the 747 Club and USA Today has deemed him the gratitude guru. His book, Gratitude and Pasta, was number two on Forbes Best Books of 2020. Now, this is the second time Chris has been on our show. If you want to go back and listen to his first appearance, it's episode number 79 and an episode where I unexpectedly broke down crying at the end and I am not really an easy crier. It was actually a very real and raw, uh, real and raw episode. And true story, the first time, and this is kind of my error, but the first time I interviewed him, I had read maybe 40% of his book in preparation for our interview when I talked to him. The chapter I had not yet gotten to until after I interviewed him is that Chris is really open about his practice with BDSM and how common it is with CEOs and the heads of worldwide organizations. BDSM stands for bondage, domination and submission, sadism, and masochism. I think I said those right. So, you know, I had to get down to the bottom of this. This is a topic I don't know much about, but I knew that there had to be more to it than the assumptions I had or the cultural stigmas that I bet needed to be explained better. And let's just say during our conversation, Chris got into character. And not only that, he reframed every single misconception I had about the practice of BDSM. And kink, your mind is going to be blown away. Now, real quick, I would love for you to keep up with me. I would say that I share the most personal insights on my blog. If you're interested to get to know me better, and trust me, I would love to get to know you, please go to allisonhair.com and sign up for my emails. Let's stay connected. Okay, buckle up. Here is my chat with Chris Shembra. So excited to welcome back Chris Shembra. Welcome back, Chris. Hello. Gosh, thanks for having me back. I mean, (laughs) you know, I I feel like, uh, you know, I feel like there's a very rare amount of people that get the opportunity to be on the receiving end of your interview skills. (laughs) And for me to be here, it's going to be tasty. Listen, if you get, so this is number two, if you get to number five, there is a robe 
that you get on this, but you're here for a completely <laughs> different reason. So today we're talking all about BDSM and the King community. <laughs> and what is so interesting about that is you're, I mean, you, you work in the court, the biggest companies in the world and have been very, very open, best-selling author, all of this, and are into that. I'd be curious to get your definition, or you could tell me, what does BDSM mean? Bondage, discipline, sadomasochism. Okay. <laughs> no, it, it, BDSM is, you know what? B- BDSM is a form, to me, of creating intimacy with others when when people want when people feel alone or they feel shame or they feel uh, stressed or they they crave connection we we are programmed to want to seek out very traditional things to solve those things if you're lonely go on a date if you're stressed out go to therapy if you're hungry eat some food if you want a new perspective go take some travel and bdsm to me is a a variety of activities and scenes and power dynamics and role plays and acting and all these kind of things that solve a lot of those things in ways that just look a little bit different than how most normal people get through stress and anxiety and shame and depression. So BDSM to me is um, a a way of uh, interacting with another person where you have a specific goal in mind of what the two of you want to get out of your encounter Right? You're in the world of sales. You're used to getting a goal out of an encounter. Maybe the goal will take you two years to fulfill with the prospect, but the goal is to make the sale. When you're with someone else in a BDSM encounter, you have a goal. You want to get them to a place, and they want to get you to a place. And that goal is usually to solve something inside of you. It's to either create an m- intense meaningful emotional connection to help you feel less lonely maybe it's to help destigmatize shame from your childhood mm. maybe it's to help you get a different perspective on a way of doing something but it's an exchange between people multiple people and uh yeah so it's such an intro that was not how i expected you to answer it um only because well i i don't know how i would expect you to answer it i think what's interesting about it is that when I, as somebody who doesn't really know a lot about BDSM, I don't normally think about having a connection with somebody. It seems, it seems like a power, Uh it seems like a power, uh, power play of giving and receiving. And I'd be curious, what does it mean to you? Like, what has it done for you? When Mm -hmm. did you first realize you had kinky interests? Well, let me answer that in a sec. But what I want to go back to that power and thingy mm-hmm. and majiggy, majiggy. So we've been programmed for a long time to perceive that when someone is in power and they're exerting that power over someone else, it creates disconnection. Mm. Yeah. It creates an, an order 
of I'm going to tell you to do this and therefore it will push us apart because now you're going to resent this directive but shut the fuck up and Mm. fall in line. That's exactly right. right. Isn't that how society teaches us about power? Go manipulate your enemies and go teach your employees what to do and what not to do and threaten to fire them if they don't do what you want them to do. Well, the opposite is true in BDSM. BDSM is one of the most nurturing, humbling versions of servant leadership ever known to mankind. Because it's in a controlled, safe space. You have to set the goals, set the intentions, set the rules, set the vision, set the hopes, set the dreams, set the safe words, set the compartmentalization of this thing, and then you create a safe space to enter it. And you go through your stuff. But the end result usually involves nurturing and debriefing, and making sure that we've come together through that very sometimes but violent it seems like exchange. Such a consensual agreement. The, Does it always is that is that normal is. in the practice, or do you find you know like you have some drinks and you find yourself in a situation? How you know like I'd love to understand more I about will, the community. I will say, yeah, I I will say that BDSM can be practiced in very unsafe ways that involve drinking and drugs and very sadistic stuff. I mean, you hear of those parties where you go in and you're a masochist, you love feeling pain, and you say, do anything to me you want, and you and they do anything that, you, that they want. That's not the stuff that I practice. Um, you know, we, we like to practice uh, things that are controlled and intentional and safe and purposeful with the, with the container. And so there's a lot of different versions in the community. I, we go to dangerous places when we play, but it's all with the most keen awareness of what people are really capable of going to. And it's about pushing a little bit of boundaries, but it's not taking them to an unsafe what place. What does that look like though? You know, like if if it is if it is pushing boundaries, it sounds like you have a respectful consensual, I don't know if it's respectful, uh, you know, but a consensual agreement to taking them to Oh, respect is... So you know what is great about this conversation is that, you know, I'm thinking about what are the misconceptions that people have about BDSM, and I'm bringing every single one of them up, I'm assuming. (laughs) So I'd be curious to get your thoughts on... Yeah, totally. What do do you know about this topic that you wish other people could know? What do people get wrong about this? uh, I... Yeah. That's a whole. Uh, I'm probably not qualified to talk in full depth about all of that. I can yeah. just talk about my own personal experience, which is, uh, I'll give an example of a dangerous yet common BDSM sure. fantasy, or whatever for people. Breath play. 
breath play. You've seen it bastardized on the internet and in movies. Choke Mm. me, daddy. Choke Mm -hmm. me, daddy. Like that kind of thing, right? Well, that's a form of BDS and that's a form of non-vanilla interaction between people. Well, I'm not just going to play with breath play with someone who doesn't know my breath limits, right? If someone knows me and knows I can hold my breath for two minutes, but I can't hold my breath for four minutes, then they have to respect in a safe way that they're going to take me to like two, two and a quarter, two and a half, and then they're going to let loose and they're, we're going to celebrate where we just went and the boundary we just pushed by doing things in a very respectful and safe manner. What does it feel like? Oh, it feels phenomenal. It feels, it feels great question. It feels like you have a trust and an intimacy in another person. And regardless of what the fuck y'all are doing, you've put your trust in them. They've put their trust in you and you've been able to create a scene together and not break the trust. It's the underlying emotion that's you're doing something mm. with someone that generates trust. That's the greatest feeling that in the is world. So fascinating. Yeah. Right. Re- regardless of what you're doing. So let's take another thing. Let me let me uh, capture an emotion. Right. An emotion might be, um, you know. Um, In a scene, the goal is to talk about fear, fear play. Um, Here's another example. A lot of the things that people might want to get into BDSM to do is to destigmatize different negative emotions from their life. Destigmatize shame, guilt, regret, whatever. And so here's an example of a very a way that you're supposed to play safely. Let's say you have a lot of fears in your life. You have a fear of failure, fear of flying, fear of heights, a fear of your best friend cheating on your whatever. A way of helping you destigmatize and cope with fear in your life is to create a container in the moment mm. where fear is the star. And that fear is greater than any fear you could ever imagine that you otherwise had. And so the scene might be set up that you're in a German concentration camp. And someone is holding a knife and you're tied to a chair and they're trying to interrogate a secret Nazi allied code out of you that only you know and they can use anything at their disposal to get that out of you. Well, out of respect, they know your boundaries. Don't put the knife in the vagina. They know your, your, you know, your, your, your boundaries, but they're going to make you shit yourself with fear. They're going to make you fear that thing, that moment, more than anything you've ever feared in your life. 
And then they're going to nurture you back into present day moment by saying, look, it's all good. We got through that fear together. Here we are. Let's hug it out and create the safe space. And that helps you eliminate the fear of those minuscule things that you had in the back of your mind elsewhere. It's a form of therapy. Massive. So that sounds Massive. like a therapy. It sounds like a therapeutic way. So, okay, so let's yeah. talk for a second about past trauma. So there is, I don't know if it's a misconception, but I have read about studies that say that, sure, there are people that are involved in BDSM that have past trauma, but it isn't 100% the case. But in many cases, it can be a type of therapy because if they were traumatized, they had no control then, whereas this is more of a consensual control mm -hmm. thing where they get to be the star or at least get to yeah. rewrite history in a way. And, and I wonder, uh, to me, I, like, I told my husband, I'm like, you won't believe what I just learned. <laughs> um, but I wonder about, is BDSM, in some older studies, it was considered a mental disorder. Is it a mental disorder? What are your views on, on, on it? Or is it an orientation or a lifestyle? BDSM is a mental disorder? I don't know. You tell me. Wow. Oh, fuck no. <laughs> I think in... Oh, God. I think, I think BDSM is probably our greatest strength. Mm -hmm. BDSM is like ADHD. People put ADHD quantified like a disability. When in fact, most entrepreneurs have ADHD. And it's what makes them the most successful people at what they do. People who use BDSM to process past traumas or to create meaningful connection with others, oh, they've got the leg up on society. I mean, let's talk about what vanilla society is and how that's not a disorder. Vanilla society is like 60% divorce rate. All of us are lonely as shit. We're miserable. Everybody's cheating. Not, not us. Everybody's fucking cheating. They're running around with shame. They live for the weekend. They lash out in anger. They can't speak their truth. They put fake filters on their Instagram. Vanilla society is the disorder. Mm. BDSM is the permission to speak your truth. I mean, you know as much as anybody knows, trauma doesn't occur or post-traumatic stress doesn't occur from the trauma itself. It comes from your reaction or response to the trauma. You could have gotten touched by a Catholic school priest when you were eight and now you do cocaine every day that you go out to the back room and you lash out in anger and try to abuse women. That's vanilla society. Wow. That's the disorder. What an incredible reframe, too. My God, BDSM is a vehicle to speak your truth. Oh, God, yeah. It's, it's therapy. I mean, I remember having, I mean, let's take, let's, let's, let's link, grat, let's link what I do for a living, gratitude, yeah. to BDSM for a sec. So talk about yeah. what you do for so, a living. Yeah, talk about what you long do. Long story short. I am a guy, reformed lonely guy, right, that, that uses the principles of gratitude to build experiences 
helping people connect in the most meaningful ways. I mean, the deepest, most loving, connected, hope, prod, optimism, self-confidence, self-efficacy, all that kind of stuff. And we've done it a lot. We've done it with a lot of people. And what we've learned along the way, and I even had my friend Goddess Aviva on my podcast to talk about this, in a way, BDSM is synonymous with gratitude. Right? It, in, in a way, I, I think BDSM is a form of servant leadership, of service. Right? It's about leading someone through an experience by listening to the needs of who you're serving. So if you're a top, your goal as a top is to empathize with the needs of the bottom and structure an experience that you're in control of that serves them. It's not like some sadistic, like sadism is just like, <laughs> the sadism is like the minuscule part of the industry. Most people aren't sadists. It's just a tiny little, anyways. So where gratitude comes in is that gratitude is acknowledging that you've received something of value from others. And so a top can give gratitude to a bottom. A bottom can give gratitude to a top. And there can be this humility that's developed in the scene by acknowledging that the scene isn't about you. It's about you being in service of the other to create meaningful moments of connection and empathy. Right? And so gratitude, when you're in a scene that's of worship and thanks and praise between two people, you're worshiping and you're giving gratitude literally 50 times during the scene in five minutes. It's all about gratitude. Right? Wow. Oh, yeah. What an yeah. incredible reframe. So, Chris, you work with companies like the biggest companies in the world. You work oh, with yeah. Google, Citibank, Salesforce, these yeah. enormous companies and have done these experiences. And what I thought was so brave of you is that you, um, are, USA Today had named you the gratitude guru. And you wrote an incredible book called uh, Gratitude and Pasta where you talk openly about not only the gratitude side of things, but BDSM. And I thought it was incredibly brave and was really taken aback that you so boldly, and maybe for you, it's not that bold, it's who you are. But for me, I was not expecting that. And, you know, before we started recording, you told me that so many successful entrepreneurs, CEOs, some of the most successful people are the kinkiest people around. What is your experience in the corporate world with this? Mm. I mean, let's reference the Martin Scorsese movie, The Wolf of Wall Street, where you see Leonardo DiCaprio going into the city every night and, you know, being with the dominatrix, you know, call me Wolfie, call me Wolfie. Like, that's a, that's a crude example. But like, it, it's an example that, as I say, the more powerful you get in your company... When you're, you got 20,000 employees. I mean, you know, some of my buddies, they got 20,000 employees are the kinkiest guys around. Literally. I'll talk about my friend Kevin, for instance. Anyway, what, the, guy, the most powerful that you could be means you're making all these decisions, all the stresses on the plate. You had to portray the perfect image you had to go raise that money you've hidden a lot about you and sometimes 
You just want to shut the fuck up, turn off the brain, and be told what to do. There's so much anxiety with making that next billion dollar decision that you're just running around. Oh my God. Yeah, life looks good on paper, but you're broken on the inside. My buddy Simon told me that in his Tesla going through the Holland Tunnel one day. Hey, we're living like rock stars, buddy. We're going to hit a billion next year. But dude, it sucks. And so, what do you do with these guys? Right? They just want to stop. They want to pause. They want to reflect. They want to process some past traumas. They just want to be human again. So, maybe bring in the world's most beautiful woman to tell him what to do. (laughs) That is so I I know it sounds like a crude way, but, but so... There's peace and there's calm in what's called subspace. So I am a meditator. I'm a Reiki practitioner. I'm a Tantra practitioner. Go to dominatrixes. Me and my girlfriend have a wonderful, wonderful practice. And what the link is between all of those things brings me the same headspace. Right here. Comfort. Calm. Home. Silence. Quiet. And so whether it's me being told what to do, or it's me having a safe space created, it helps me after that, those sessions, produce better, lead better, empathize better, be the best boss I could possibly be. So it's good for productivity. It's great for sales. It inspires you, reinvigorates you to lead that team to the next step of growth. Right? Do you feel like it is something that constantly needs to be nurtured? Do you feel empty like I need to go out? Is it like a bottomless pit? Or is it something that, like how do you make it sustainable? Hmm. So, like everything in life, you must work on these things. You don't just work out once. You don't go to the gym once, ever, to help you feel good. You don't just meditate once to make you feel good. You don't just write in your gratitude journal or or buy a 747 virtual gratitude experience once. Some companies only do it once, but we're working on that. Um, But uh, you, you don't do these things only once. And that has everything to do with this. It has everything to do with right, a, a gratitude practice. You have to have a practice because that's what helps create a new level of homeostasis to where when stressful occasions occur in life, your homeostatic level is high enough, a high enough grateful disposition that when shit happens and you get knocked off kilter, at least you're not going down too bad and you're coming up back to a normal level. Right? So, the same feelings that you would get from working out, doing yoga, meditating, praying, gratitude practice, the same benefits are what BDSM is. The more you practice, the more benefits you're going to get. It's like the more you go to your therapist, the more benefits you're going to get. And oh, by the way, it doesn't have to involve nudity or sex at all. 
Yeah, I guess I so. Mean, there I'm are so many different. Pandemic. I'm yeah. thinking about the pandemic. So if you're used to being able to go out, you live in New York City, you can, you know, there, yeah. there are plenty of options there. If you're not in New York City, it must have been very hard to kind of fill your cup. So I could meditate on my own, I could work out on my own. But in many cases, you need a partner, I guess, maybe in all cases, mm-hmm. you might need a partner. And I, and I guess you could do it virtually. You know, like how how do people manage through the pandemic? You know, I'm thinking about like the bottomless pit of like how do you get, you know, how do you get filled up in order to give back? So, so ironically, when we had those same questions about our in-person gratitude experiences sure. where everybody would cry and life-changing moments and you're being told what to do. And then the pandemic hit and people were like, huh, what are you going to do now, buddy? And I'm like, well, actually, we invented this 90-minute three-act experience which has a 99.998% success rate guaranteeing a positive emotional transfer. Blah, 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 blah. The BDSM community did the same thing. They started doing virtual sessions. Right? They started doing financial domination. I mean, get this, for instance. Financial domination? What is that? Oh, that's the biggest explosion in the BDSM space through the pandemic known to mankind. I don't know what it means. (laughs) Let's say, let's say, let's say you got a crap ton of cash sitting in a bank. And you are just like... You're looking to, you're looking to, you're looking to be told what to do. You're looking to just serve. You're looking to just, man, have it just shut off. Well, someone can make a very easy decision from afar. Hello, Allison. Do me a favor. Take out your cell phone. Open up your banking app. Now I want you to open up your banking app and I want you to look at the number that's in that bank account. Now I want you to go and sit. You see that bed behind you? Don't sit on the bed. I want you to crawl underneath the bed and I want you to just sit there for me for an hour. Oh my goodness. Can, can you do that, Allison? Can you? Good. Now what I want you to think I don't want you to think about anything else. I want you to think, how much money am I willing to send Chris at this exact moment? And don't speak. Don't talk to anybody about this. Just open up that app and go underneath that bed. I'll be right here and I'll tell you when to come back. I'll give you 23 minutes on the clock. When you come back, then you'll let me know what you're willing to send me right now to make me happy. Okay? Right? That exploded. For real? Now, two things People occurred. People don't think they're being taken Yeah, for these a motherfuckers ride? are... They enjoy the servitude. Huh. They enjoy that... They enjoy thinking that Chris is doing them a favor by Chris spending 23 minutes making sure that they know that Chris will accept their money. Wow. Oh, I could accept my money from anywhere I want, Allison, but I choose to accept money from you 
right now, so you better make it worth it. You don't want me to hang up this Zoom call and never talk to you again, do you, Allison? No. Well, then think long and hard about how much you want to pay me right now. Thank you. Can that be a business? You're welcome. (laughs) Can that be a business? Oh, it's a massive business. Oh, my God, it's a massive business. It's a massive business. I mean, my one friend Lexi Pantera has 600,000 subscribers that pay her. Is that to kind of like have an her send fans messages kind of like thing? This. Well, hers is through OnlyFans, okay. but there are many other ways of doing this. Wow. Tons. Oh, I feel so... Right? Like, there, there's, uh, there's domestic servitude, right? None of this involves sex yeah. at all. It's just, it's, it's, you know, do you know how good it feels when, like... Allison, you, you've got friends, you've got family members, you've read Gary Chapman's book, The Five Love Languages. Love that you understand yes. that maybe maybe you know tell me how 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 good does it feel when you know the love language of a friend of yours and and you go show your appreciation to them in the language that they like to receive it. How good does that feel, Feels Allison? Great. Does it? Yeah. What does it do to the brain or to the heart? Well, you're giving. You're giving. You're making somebody happy. My husband and I talk about it a lot. His love language is acts of service. Mine is physical touch. And ours don't, like we don't, we, we give, but we, we aren't necessarily, you know, I'm no. not an acts of service person, but I stretch to, mm-hmm. you know, to give to him. Mm-hmm. So you stretch to give, and it feels good to stretch to give. Well, congratulations. You would make a great service bottom. <laughs> I don't even know what a bottom is in this case. <laughs> Sorry. You would, you would make a good... If it makes you happy to go out of your way to give in the language that the person that you're married to likes to receive that version of appreciation... Then imagine knowing that someone out there that you know, love, and trust and have had hours-long, meaningful conversations with says, Allison, you know what would really make me happy is if you came over tonight, or uh, Saturday afternoon, and you cleaned my bathroom for me. I... I know that's a stretch for you, but I know it feels really good to you to stretch, to give in the way that I like to receive it best. And right now, I need my bathroom cleaned. So, why don't you come over and do that for me? This is such an interesting reframe that I would have never considered. Uh, you know, I, like I'm, I'm, I know I sound like I'm freaking Beavis and Butthead here, like, huh? <laughs> All of this, I've just, uh, you know, dropped off of a turnip truck. One of the things I thought was interesting is that I heard through the pandemic, through like Kinsey research stuff, that one in five people tried something new in the bedroom. And a lot of it has to do with yeah. kink and BDSM and, and just, you know, something that is novel. Have you seen it more normalized in... You know, I, I don't. I don't want to say normal society, but like in society, and you know, what what do you think the future holds 
for this community. I know that you're plugged into a community that completely understands and gets and and participates in you know, like in, in these engagements, in the servitude, in, you know, the, the giving, receiving, the power uh, dynamics. What do you think it looks like? What do you think it should look like? Uh, I, I would like to see, uh, I, I would like to see community um, be a big proponent of the education going forward because there's right and wrong mm. ways of doing things. Um, you know, I, I come from an old AA background, right? For all for all the listeners who are, who are watching this, I'm the guy with the suicide, depression, jail, rehab on the resume. I went away for a long time. And what I learned through the principles of Alcoholics Anonymous um, is that the, the safety of the community and the structure of this Right, this decentralized network of circles that follow some common principles. That's what keeps AA alive today. Right, there's a great book called The Starfish and the Spider, which talks about the hidden power of leaderless organizations. Right, it's uh, You think of a, uh, a spider and a starfish. What's the difference? A starfish has eight legs and no head. A spider has eight legs and a head cut off the head it dies cut off an arm it regrows and so the aa community was birthed as a leaderless organization around common core principles right so the kink in the bdsm community should expand by way of common core principles common beliefs Overcoming misconceptions, those types of things. And and if people try to address it without the education, well, then it's just, uh, it's an unregulated version of, uh, uh, it's like trying to be a therapist without mm-hmm. going to therapy school. It's like trying to be a lawyer without going to law school. You can't do it. You got to give it credit. You got to give these principles, these common misconceptions. You got to go research the stuff before you can go play with this stuff, because it's pretty damn dangerous if you do it the wrong way. It can really fuck with people's sure, life imagine. story. How did you get involved in it? And how old were you? The first website I ever went to was called QueenAdrena.com. And she was 560 pounds, uh, former wrestler. She used to be a, a f- part of the gorgeous ladies yeah. of wrestling, the glow ladies of wrestling. And her her website was all about squashing and crushing. And so it would be these big mama jammas, and they'd come and they'd sit on you. And so they'd control you. they control your breath. They'd know when to stand up, when to get off you. And and it was a great thing. And there was wrestling. and the, So that was like my first thing. And it was queenadrena.com. How old were you? And, God, like 12, And it was just 11. you on your own. It wasn't like a friend saying, you got to, here, come check this out. Oh, definitely not. No way. No way. I didn't tell people until... God, I didn't tell people until 
maybe college. Um, you know, maybe my first official, I don't know, relationship. That's amazing that you knew uh, it back then. I, every time I tried, every time I tried to bring it up to people, they just thought right. I was the weirdest fucker in the world. Because I grew up on a tiny island in the middle of South Carolina. You know, it was weird. So, you know, it was weird to them, I should say. And, um, you know, like, I grew up on an island. I grew up as a surfer on an island. And I grew up on the beach. I met a lot of girls. And I'm not saying that to, you know, whenever. We met a lot of girls. And every time I would try to get with a girl, I'd, you know, talk to them, you know, I'd take the time to talk to them about these weird proclivities I had. And day after day after day after day after week after month after year after hundreds of women, they all thought I was the biggest kook in the world. And that developed Mm -hmm. shame. That developed all Did you feel the shame? going away to, oh my God, yeah, that's part right. of the suicide, depression, jail, rehab. It was all part of it. And then it, and then it took me meeting a few people along the way where I was able to destigmatize that shame by saying, oh my God, there's other people out there like me? Oh, hello, Bob. Hi. Wow. You're 65 years old, and we're talking about liking the same thing. This is weird. <laughs> we're in an Arby's. It's Savannah, Georgia. But nice to meet you, man. Cool. Uh, so, you know, it was like that kind of thing. But but we get that everywhere, right? Like, me and my girlfriend, anytime we have a, a brave and vulnerable and tough conversation together, you know, we'll feel like some crap and then we'll get through it and we'll have a good time and then she'll go out and communicate about it to her peers her friends and her friends will be like oh yeah I'm going through that right now I'm going through that yesterday I'm probably going to go through that tomorrow and it helps you feel less alone was it hard finding a a partner that is willing to ride with you on this and maybe she was part of the community but it is it you know like do you have to get plugged in or is it something where you're continuously educating you know and and somebody's going to get it some people are not you've been with her for 5 years yeah well a there's a gr- i mean a, a there's a great resource called fetlife.com f e t l i f e.com which is a combination between a facebook for kinky people not a tinder no a Facebook or a LinkedIn for kinky people, and it's got some educational workshops and videos and courses, and it's a good resource. It's a good community. But, uh, you know, Molly and I have been together for a long time, and so we, we've, you know, we, we've explored a number of things together, some things we don't like, some things we really like. Um... And then, you know, every once in a while you get complacent. And so you have to introduce new ideas. And so you can go back out to the community for mm. inspiration. It's like, it's, like, uh, it's like reading a cookbook, <laughs> right? You get complacent in the food you're eating. You buy a new cookbook and you try some new recipes. BDSM is the same mm. damn thing. 
right? Maybe maybe historically you've been really into impact play. Ooh, I love the spanking and the hitting and the flogging and the whipping. Ooh, impact. But then you're like, eh, this is boring now. And then you get into shibari or bondage, rope play. And so there's like all kinds of different flavors, you know, to try that, oh, by the way, hardly ever involve sex. BDSM is not sex. I mean, we were talking about this even before, like, getting on the, the podcast. There was a, you know, I, I live in the heart of New York City. Uh, we've got the lot of stuff going on. Gender, sexuality, movements, BDSM, avant-garde, radical movement, what all that stuff. And there was some controversy at the Pride Parade last year around accepting BDSM floats during the Pride Parade. And I am of the belief that there shouldn't be BDSM floats Why? at the Pride Parade. Because it, it dilutes two different communities' messages. Yes, there are overlaps, and I guess that's why you should have them, because there are overlaps. But too many people think, oh, i got to be gay to be kinky. Right? You were walking around with a gay friend in Atlanta, and you know, you're talking about interviewing me on BDSM, yeah. and he's like, well, does he look the part? <laughs> No, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I don't look the part. Right? Like, no offense to him. Love him. Love him already. But, like, so many people, even in the gay community, they're like, you got to be gay to be kinky. Or you got to be kinky to be gay. Like, no. No. Some of the kinkiest people I know are the straightest people I know. Right? Some of the gayest people I know are the most vanilla people I know. I mean, like, legit. My buddy, I won't name names, that I grew up with, gayest man you'll ever meet, straightest dude you'll ever meet, mm. or uh, most vanilla dude you'll ever meet. <laughs> He's married to a banker, <laughs> which even that puts a stigma that you can have any job title <laughs> as well. But so, you know, it sounds when, like there are when no, people. There are no <clears throat> There shouldn't There's be no any stereotypes, type. right? Like no types There's of no it. There's no type. And what I'm, oh my God. What I'm hearing from this is that I, I love the, the phrase communication is lubrication. And it sounds like the, the, the way you... Did I say that? <laughs> no, but the way... I, I heard it oh. on Sex with Emily, the podcast. Um, but I thought it was uh. really powerful. Um, and it sounds like as long as you're open, as long as you're communicating, as long as you understand the boundaries and it's consensual. It, it, I don't know. It sounds like you have found a community and a lifestyle and something that is based out of gratitude, out of communication, out of respect. Um, and not everybody's into it. Not everybody knows about it. Some people are really, really into it, you know, just like a cross section of the world, right? There's no type. I mean, we're, we're, we're working on people just getting to that base yeah. layer that you talked about. We're, we're working on human beings having integrity and moral courage and gratitude and, 
you know, th- there's a lot of that that needs to be worked on before we can have them be accepting of things that may be different than who mm. they are. Right? We have a habit in this country to think we have more things in that are different than we have in common. When in reality, uh, we have more in common than you'll mm-hmm. ever know. Uh, and, and, and our society is plagued by a massive lack of, of gratitude. I mean, ingratitude has been plaguing societies for thousands of years. I mean, the great Lucius Annius Seneca wrote a book called On Benefits in 65 AD, 2,000 years ago. And he said the greatest plague to Roman society, he was a Roman elder statesman, the greatest plague to Roman society is that we neither know how to give or receive a benefit of all the vices that are common in Roman society, nothing is more common than ingratitude. Now, what happened to the Roman Empire? It crashed and burned, and they went through the same shit that we go through. They had fake news, fighting unjust foreign wars, political usurpers, social divide, class warfares, running out of money, the same stuff, Antonine Plague, same stuff, right? So we're still 2,000 years later trying to at least develop the baseline of gratitude and empathy and compassion and understanding and connection and integrity and honesty, right? The, the world is filled with majority thieves and liars and cheats. I mean, we all do it even in a small way. And the opposite of that is open and honest and safety and trust and moral integrity and courage and respect and truth and humility. And BDSM happens to be one of the things that can inspire those positive Mm. attributes. I think it's a perfect place to end this conversation, which... Oh, I knew I knew where we're, I saw you I saw you go that way and I was like, "Ooh, I'm going to start I'm going to start my soliloquy <laughs> towards the end. My closing monologue." Sure. Well, you know, I could talk I have so many more questions. First of all, I can't thank you enough because this was a completely different reframe than I was expecting. Tell me how can people <laughs> find you, Chris? How can people get more information? So you said P P what is it? PFT? No. Oh, Fet, Fet Life. Fet Life. And how Fet can people get in touch with you? Well, not on Fet Life, but just re- reach out on LinkedIn, Chris Shembra, or they can email chris at 747club.org and, yeah, and any of your, any your questions. And I guess I'm available for financial domination. I guess I did a pretty good uh, <laughs> uh, job of that giving an example so i'll be your daddy if you need me (laughs) speaking of your daddy no uh (laughs) one last question for you when you put the information or, or kind of really shared to me it felt like a very bold and brave move to share about your experience towards uh with bdsm in a corporate a book around corporations and gratitude what was the feedback like Mm, yeah, from the just companies? in general, the feedback on people who read it. Oh, I, I to me it was a surprise. I'm, I wasn't expecting I'm, that. Yeah, I'm. I'm sure there are hundreds of companies who read that and didn't reach out. That I'll just never be able to sure. quantify. Sure. <laughs> right. But God, 
dang it, have we had a great year since that book comes out. So I'm not complaining one bit. You know, we operate in a focus equals growth, aim small, miss small kind of thing. I only want to surround myself with the people who would want to read that in a book. Now, there may be only a couple thousand of us out there, but it's a powerful little community. right? You don't have to change the whole world, but as long as you change a couple thousand people's whole world, you've done a pretty good job. And so I don't care. I really don't care if people read that and are offended. Oh, of course, I empathize. I'm sorry that you are offended by me speaking my truth. But what I would encourage is if you are offended by me speaking my truth, I invite you to go do it shit ton of work. Now, I've been privileged. I've been privileged in life to have fucked up a lot of times. I am privileged to not remember 15 years of my life. I'm privileged to have attempted the negative things that I've attempted. So I own that shit. That's me. I own my truth. Not others, not all others have done that. And so if I offend people by putting that in my book, Okay, so what? We weren't meant to be because it was going to come up eventually. You, maybe people got offended. I wasn't worried about that. I would. I thought that people no. would be feel relieved and feel like, oh, oh, massive. Finally, somebody that gets me or had opened people's minds yeah. to something they may not have considered before. That was what I thought happened, and that you were probably very validated or felt very mm-hmm. valid. Were you were you going oh, to include well, that? Well, that that was, or was it? You know, was it even a choice to include it, or did you consider? I think it. I think it came. I I it came up. It was it originated by our writing partner Sarah Stibitz. Um, she she really fought to to put it in, and it, it you know it was because I was describing mm. the unique elements of my past that make me so good at hosting a dinner. I mean, it, it, you know, for all the listeners who are listening to how, what I led Allison through with the app and the, the, the this and the, you, you, you heard, you heard a different voice. You saw a different level of eye contact. You saw a, 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 theater, a theatricality in me that you would only see by coming to one of my dinners, Right. And so I wanted to I wanted to give people the full flavor through a book of what you just experienced, you know, on this call. And and Sarah really had the idea of doing that by including the five things that inspired how I lead these dinners, my Italian background, my southern upbringing, my alcoholics anonymous, my theatrical producer background and my BDSM Right, that that's what makes me me around the dinner table. You are the most table. interesting man on so. earth. <laughs> I'm grateful to have you on the show for time number two. <laughs> Thank you, Allison. You bring such good to this world. You you. Anyways, compliments for afterwards. Chris, you are brave and courageous, and I know I say this every time I talk to you. You are endlessly fascinating. Thank you for sharing your insight with us and being so honest and open. If you'd like to connect with Chris, I've linked his info in the show notes. 
Now, do you want more culture changers? Please go into your podcast player and check out the topics of the past episodes. There are 101 of them, and I'm hoping you will feel sparked enough to share it with your friends. I hope you find me on the socials and please say, hey, I'm always so grateful to hear from you and intensely thankful for coming along on this journey with me. Thanks for listening and I'll see you next time.